Good afternoon, everybody. Let me, let me show respect. Let me take the lid off. You know, I, I can't grow it here, but it's psychological warfare. You know, I can do it right here. I ask you to forgive me. What I do? Oh. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here, gentlemen. It is my honor. It is my privilege. It is my wonderful hope and prayer that you don't come here to a religious function, but that you come here to see the, the face of God, the word of God, the hope of God, the peace of God, the love of God, and check this out, the forgiveness of God. Amen. 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 Would you turn with me to 2 Timothy? A scripture has been assigned to me. Well, it has. But I'm just going to lay it down so we can have it on the tape because that's what they gave me. But that's not what the Lord has given me today. You understand that? I want to be respectful. It says, Ponch, you are assigned this particular scripture. That's fine. And I went with it. But I, I came here before. You see, I, I, I'm a father. I'm not just a pastor. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a man of God. I'm a Christian. I go through changes. Just last week, I, for the first time, I have four daughters, and the first one already got married. And it's a different stage for me. It's like, dude, it, it, it alters your life. Because you see your little girls... And you know, when I saw her walking down the aisle, man, all I can think of was her birthday. And I asked myself, thinking, you know, don't cry, dude, don't cry, don't cry. <laughs> and I kept asking myself, where has all the time gone? Like that, man, in a flash. And there she comes. And, I felt, I, and she married a sweetheart. He's a doll, man. His name is Jesus. How can I go wrong? <laughs> but she freaks me out because sometimes she wears a t-shirt that says, I heart Jesus. So who is she talking about? Jesus or her Jesus, you know? <laughs> so she freaks me out. So she, tell, she tells her husband, oh, it's you. And then she tells me, oh, it's Jesus. <laughs> but it just freaks me out, man. It's just it's a different alteration. I felt like asking Jesus, hey, Jesus, give me back all the money for the orthodontics. Give me all the time I spent in the ER. All the money that I spent with her and everything, man. But that's the way it's life, man. Life. Young Timothy is a young pastor. He's just like you and I. He's a young man, but he's phobic about life. He's timid. He's going through some encumbrances. He's going through some difficulties in life. And so Paul, being his spiritual daddy, Paul is doing time in Rome. He's writing from prison. Now, if you ever received a letter from people from prison, man, they, got, they write so cool. They even draw drawings because they got lots of time. <laughs> Paul is in jail. And he's encouraging a young man who just took over a pastorship in the city of Ephesus. He's freaked out. There are old people who are messing with him. There are traditional people who want to keep tradition. And there are people who are stuck in their ways. And he's a young pastor bringing new wine, new word, new hope. But he is 
overbeaten by the burdens of just living a life of a Christian leader. So Paul writes to him in chapter 1 and chapter 2, and in chapter 2 he gives the characteristics of what it is to be a man of God. When we mean a man of God, we don't mean someone who does a living in doing ministry. We're talking about just living a Christian life. We're going to the book of Zechariah right now in our church. It's a mind blower because many of our people who come to our church come from the same background that I come from. from. We said that we know the Bible, but we never read the Bible. We had a Bible in our home because that's the way it was, but we never read it. I tried to read it when I was sober, and I was trying to read it when I was high. I couldn't understand it for beans, no pun intended. I couldn't understand it. I, I, I just couldn't understand it. When I was scared out of my wit one day, I was at the induction center. It was an induction center. That's the selective service. That's when they had the draft. And in 1969, I knew I was going to get drafted. So I joined the Marine Corps. And so when I joined the Marine Corps, they gave me a New Testament so I can take it with me to Camp Pendleton. And I said, I've tried to read this before. I don't understand absolutely beans, man. So when I hit the deck in San Diego boot camp, I looked for that Bible. Speak to me. Speak to me. <laughs> and no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't understand it. And here I am again. And there were some Christians in my platoon. And every night they would cry and they, and they would pray. And I said, hey, what, what, you know, he says, punch. Well, they say, Juarez, you need to be born again, man. And I told him, look, I don't know what that means, but I'm not into that stuff. And for many years, because I couldn't read it. And I thought anyone that was reading the Bible, they were like 5150. <laughs> what does that mean? It's the California code for psycho. <laughs> and so I, I just gave up. Here's Timothy being reminded. Timothy, listen. We'll pick it up in verse 10. You have carefully followed my doctrine or my teaching. Timothy, you have checked out my manner of life, my conduct. You know my purpose. You know my faith. You have seen the long-suffering, but you have seen also the love. You have seen the perseverance. You have witnessed the persecutions. You have seen, you have taken witness of the afflictions which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, Oh, what persecutions I endure, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you do not have that highlight, get a highlighter from your friend next to you and highlight that particular day and put 10.15.05 because you have now been warned today. It's not just kumbaya all the time. <laughs> you know that, I know that. We don't get up every morning. Maybe you do. I know in my household, I don't get up in the morning and get up and go, hallelujah, <sighs> glory, glory. I don't do that. Sometimes I get up and I think of my schedule or, or the things that I have to go against or, or in front or confront or go through, and I say, ay, yay, 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 yay. You know what I'm talking about. It's not every day you get up and you say, Oh, yes, kumbaya, glory to God. 
No, there's times when you say, Lord Jesus, I can make it today. That's it. I can do it today. So where are you going to go? Get a little bit of coffee? Okay. What else? I don't know. Where do people go get their nutrients, their vitamins, their energy from? You see, we're made of three parts. It's called the trichotomy of man. It's a heavy-duty word. I learned it when I became a Christian. The trichotomy of man. I didn't even know what dichotomy meant. Dichotomy means two. Trichotomy means three. We're made of three parts. Body, soul, and spirit. You know what the body does, and you know what the body wants. But what does the spirit want? The spirit cries out, is the inside of you. Jesus came and spoke to the spirit of man. He did not speak to the head. The head's important. I'm not downing education, academics. No, get your degree. But Jesus was after the soul. He spoke spiritual things. It was the word spoken. And people were tripping out. They were saying, who is this man? Isn't he the son of Joseph? How come he knows so much, man? He's from Galilee, wino country. (laughs) How does he know so much? People were saying, when he speaks, he speaks with authority. When he talks, everyone listens. Why? Because Jesus' words came out and they hit the heart of man. And Paul tells Timothy, listen, evil men, verse 13, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you, you, Timothy, you must what? Continue in the things which you have learned and being assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for what? Salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. Now stop there for a moment. I thought I was only going to go through this. Stop there for a moment. Let me ask you. Is Timothy a Christian already when he's writing this letter? Is he saved? Yes. Is he a pastor? Yes. So what is Paul speaking about that the Holy Scriptures were being salvation? I thought you were already saved. Ah, you see, you and I as believers, we have been saved. When? On Calvary. We call it Good Friday. There was nothing good for Jesus, but it was good for us. On Good Friday, Jesus died for the whole world. He saved us then. And the moment you say, Jesus, come into my heart, into my heart, you were born again, you were saved. And now you are a Christian. You are in the process of being saved. Even now, we are being saved. But here comes one last one. We will be saved. Have been, we are, and we will be. So we are told by Paul in Philippians Work out your salvation. Not work for your salvation. We don't work for salvation. He says, work it out. And what does work out mean? If I tell you in the morning, hey, listen, man, I ate too much red chili and too many beans, and man, I got to go work it out. (laughs) So what does that mean, work it out? I got to go out there, and I got to whatever I have to do. (laughs) I have to work it out. I have to do something. It's my responsibility. And so Paul tells him, listen, you must continue. 
And then he says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Here we go. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And what is the best good work? Jesus said that we are his work. We are his poema. We are his masterpiece. He's working out something in our lives. He's not done with you. He's not done with me. If you tell me, Pancho, I'm done. I'll ask your neighbors. I'll ask your coworkers. I'll ask your wife. I'll ask your sisters. And they'll tell me, nah, man, he's jiving. We know him. And you know yourself. We're in the process of being saved. It's called the process of sanctification where you and I are becoming more like Jesus Christ. But the scriptures are very important. The Bible says they're profitable. That means not lucrative, but they're beneficial. They're valuable. They're rewarding. And it's good for doctrine. What is doctrine? I learned that word again. I don't mean to kick a dead horse, but I learned that word indoctrination once again in my first alteration of my life. I'm 17 and a half years old. I don't even know what indoctrination means. Indoctrination, I learned that in boot camp. You're going to be indoctrinated, boy. And you know, afterwards, I will ask, hey, Holmes, what's indoctrination? <laughs> I don't know, man. Indoctrination. And then I learned later on that indoctrination is a form of brainwashing. Because they got to take the civilian life and convert you into a different personality. You have to think differently. You cannot think as a civilian anymore. You got to think now as a soldier. You got to think now as a sailor. You got to think now as an airman. You have to think now as a national guardsman, as a coast guardman. You think differently and you got to pack and you got to defend that the values change, your belief system change, and they brainwash you. So when you graduate, you're brainwashed. You're no longer the same. And when you come out and you go back to the hood and they see you're all pumped up with your uniform. And they said, hey, Ponch, what's happening? I don't know, man. I had muscles everywhere. <laughs> Not now, but back then. <laughs> Kill! Hurrah! Ah! My mom would say, mijo, you're going to go to Vietnam. Yeah! <laughs> I was brainwashed. I went home for leave. I got up in the morning, 4.30 in the morning. I was making my bed. I was sweeping. My mom gets up. What are you doing? <laughs> Getting things squared away, mom. Got my boots on. I'm going to go right for a run. I'll be back. I'm doing five miles. <laughs> My mom says, they changed you, mijo. They changed you. That's right. <laughs> when Christ came into my life, the same thing. All of a sudden, you want to do a line? I don't do lines anymore. I just read lines. <laughs> I don't do that. I don't do that. You want to drink? Yeah, but I don't want to. Why? I don't know. Just don't want to. I don't feel like drinking. Hey, how come you drink, man? What do you mean? We all drink. I know, but why do you drink? Now I'm getting all philosophical. Did you know that you're drinking? It alters your life. 
and it messes you up, your liver goes shot. My father died of alcoholism. They're saying, what's wrong with you? I have been indoctrinated. The teachings of Christ, the commandments of Christ, the love of Christ, the mercy of Christ, the hope of Christ, mental peace, mental hygiene, hope, the hope of God. I was transformed. And that transformation is still taking place today. It's taking place in your life, in my life. We're here for that reason. So that we can go home today and that your wife, that your wife, that your children, that your grandparents, that your father, your neighbors, your coworkers, when you go back Monday morning and they're experiencing the blues because they experience the blues, you know, they go back to work, oh, same hell, the same thing, the same thing. And you're going to go out there, hey, I'm you're going to go, oh, fire it up. Hey, what happened to you? Hey, what are you going to do? Lie to them and say, oh, B12. I took a B12 shot. That's why. <laughs> no, you're going to tell them, listen, man, I have been liberated. I've been emancipated. I have been forgiven by God. I've been cleansed by God. God is doing a work. He's not done yet. And you know what? I am sorry if you've seen anything in my life. I am so sorry if I misrepresented Jesus Christ. But from now on, I'm going to try to live my best indicative of the Christian life. God is able to forgive you. God is able to cleanse you. God is able to transform your life. God is able to do something you thought unthinkable in your life. You think, I'm a nobody. God uses nobodies, but it's up to you. As long as you keep saying, I'm nobody, I'm nobody. When God says, you are somebody. I took something out of the gutter and the trash to make something out of you. Now go tell your family. Go tell your neighbors what Christ has done and how much patience he had with you. And that's the life that we live. I'm not asking you to go live religiously. I'm not asking you to go with your Bible and go back to work and say, Thus says the Lord, you're going to go to hell. <laughs> you don't have to do that. You know the scriptures. Doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So that the man of God may be complete. In the book of Zechariah, God says to them, we don't, you know, forgive me. I know where it's at, okay? I, I try to be cool remembering and all of it, but. <laughs> ah. You see, this is why you're not supposed to ever sniff glue. <laughs> you know, you blank out. My wife is here. My wife is here. She will let you know I was a drunkard and I would have blackouts. And I knew when they were coming, and I will, I will, I will time myself. I said, hey, toots, I'm blanking out. And then I will time it. And I'll come back, dude, a minute and 10 seconds. I'm doing better. <laughs> well, you know, I lost some memory cells, so please forgive me. I may not know how to quote it, but I know where it's at. <laughs> now... God said, listen, he says, all I'm asking you to do, Israel, I'm asking you, sir, this is very simplistic. This is the essence of the second greatest commandment. The first greatest commandment is to love God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all our might, correct? What is the second? To love our neighbor as yourself. On these two, Jesus said, hangs the entire law. So that means that we can basically boil it down, capsulize, digest the entire law on two commandments. Love God. That's our, ver that's our, our vertical relationship. And then our horizontal, the social level, 
and the level of humanity, loving God, loving man as much as you love yourself. The essence, God said, listen, all I'm asking you to execute true justice, to show mercy and compassion, everyone to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless. Do not oppress the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. He says, but my people refuse to heed. They shrug their shoulders like little kids, and they stopped their ears so they could not hear. Yes, they made their heart like flint, refusing to hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent them by his spirit to the former prophets. And thus, great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. He says, what am I asking you? I'm asking you, God says, that this is the thing you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment to your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your, your neighbor and do not love a false oath for all these things that I hate, says the Lord. God is not asking you, you and I to do some, some formidable task that's beyond us. He's just said, love justice, love the truth, walk in honesty. And that's the, that's the nature and the trademark of a Christian that we walk in integrity, we walk in truth, and that we hate falsification. We hate lies and we hate sin. Not the sinner, but we hate sin. you got to hate it with so much passion that it will give you a measure of respect in your own self-respect when you're about to sin because your mind and your conscience or whatever you're going through, and then you want to do something. You see, there's a mechanics that goes into your conscience. Your eyes say, let's go for it. And then your heart has to say, let's go for it, but let's check with the conscience and the conscience they all talk to one another like a computer. And then if they all agree, every element in your being is messed up. When your heart is blind, you will walk in blindness. When, when your heart is broken, you will live a broken life. When your heart is deceitful, you will also be deceitful. This is why Jesus said, out of the mouth the heart speaks. For out of the heart is the abundance of evil, theft, and murder, and drugs, and sorcery. He says, that's the evil. It's in your heart. And this is what we're told in Hebrews chapter 3. He says, beware, Christian, lest you have a heart of unbelief. I'm not speaking to the non-Christian today, but the message afterwards, before I finish, I'm going to give you an invitation. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ, Today, right after this message, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to sap you with His love. Not to scare you, but to love you, to woo you, to convict you. But I'm speaking to the Christian man. The Christian man needs to be very careful that he guards his heart. That he begin to commit his life to a word of prayer. And I'm talking about just having a time when you talk to God. A time when you crack open your word and open the word and let the word of God speak to you. No one else can speak as the word of God can. You see, Jesus, when he saw the Pharisees in Matthew 15, he was very angry with them. He said, listen, you are traditional people. You have forfeited the word of God for the commandments of man. In other words, you Pharisees do not see the scriptures. You don't read the word of God. You don't read the scriptures. You're more, into, you're more into tradition, into culture, into social structure more than the Word of God. The Word of God brings liberty. Why does it do that? Let me go with you to Hebrews chapter 4. Go to Hebrews chapter 4 with me. The book of Hebrews chapter 4, and we'll wrap it up. 
Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 12. Here we find the nitty-gritty. For the word of God is dead and weak. And it's very dull that any other fork is very blunt. It doesn't do anything for the soul or the spirit. Doesn't even know what's going on in our thoughts and the intents of our own heart. And everybody hides from his sight. All things are clothed and they're close to the eyes of him who doesn't really care about us. Now you say, man, you're not reading this right. Of course not. That's how the Word of God is being taught and preached today. Don't talk about sin. Don't talk about redemption. Don't talk about hell. These are not the words you are supposed to talk if you want to have a successful church. You just got to think positive. Just think positive. Because my daddy said one day, And I'm thinking, I don't care about your daddy. In fact, I don't care about your mama. People come and they teach wrong doctrine. Hundreds and hundreds of churches. When people say, you know, the church is full of hypocrites, don't defend it. Acknowledge it. It's true. In our church, my church. They got kumbaya people. They're full of Gehenna on the weekdays. That's just the way it is. Somehow there is a, a line. I don't know where the line is. Where you are not really living a Christian life. And there's a line, I believe, for some of you today. Where you go over that line and you say, enough is enough. That's it. I'm going to live the Christian life. No matter how much the price. But you won't be encouraged just by hearing, it's by doing, by reading. Why? I hope we're not like the prophet Isaiah time. Jesus always brought up Isaiah the prophet. He says, he says the prophet Isaiah was right. He says, your mouths are very close to me, but your what is far away from me. Your heart is far away from me. That could be you this, this afternoon. You're here. The lament of Isaiah, especially in Isaiah 57, there was something going on. You see, the good men were disappearing. The Bible says that the voice of conscience, there was no moral leadership. All the good, godly, pious, moral-minded men were disappearing from our society. They were dying. They were disappearing. And the Bible says that no one was asking, what does it mean? What's going on? You see, there was a great sense of national indifference and apathy. Isn't that the way it is today? There's apathy. You know, there's no God. They're kicking God out of everywhere. But a 9-11 happens, oh God. Tsunami hits, oh God. America had the 9-11 effect on them. Our churches were crowded after 9-11. And now they're concerned whether 7-11 is open. That's it. They're lost. There is a great app, app our nation. Great men, good men are dying. Don't tell me it doesn't feel very well when you go to a place of employment where you got to deal business or you got to have a transaction. And there you meet someone who is pleasant, who's kind, 
who's, who has peace, who has goodness, who's merciful, and you deal with them. There's something about them. I have met people in my everyday life when there's something about them and they recognize something about me. They will say, you're a Christian? I'm a Christian. I knew it. I knew it too. I knew it. <laughs> How? Why? Because there is the joy of the Lord. It's not that we're better than other people in that sense. But there's an assurance. There's a hope. There's a, there's a, it's a vibrancy. There's a move. There's an excitement. There's an inspiration. The Word of God has been inspired by God. The word inspiration is the opposite of expiration. You see, inspiration is a Latin word, which means to breathe in, inspirar. And every time you're breathing in, it's life, man. When you exhale, that's expiration. You may not breathe back. That's when you die. That's what they say. When did the patient expire? <laughs> oh, he expired at 15, whatever it is. You see, the Word of God is alive. Notice what happens. The Word of God, first of all, is living. That means it's active. Anything that lives, breathes, moves, and grows. And it's also powerful. The word powerful means active. When you look at the word active in the Greek, it's energeo, where we get our word energy. But what kind of energy is the energy for the soul? Is the energy for our spirit? It's our food that our soul is crying out. You see, Jesus said, what would it be worth to a man if he was to gain the whole world yet forfeit his own soul? Soul is important. You see, that's the real you, our soul. Our heart is the door to our soul. Jesus said, I knock at the door of your what? Of your heart. If you let me in, I will come in and have fellowship with you. That means that he's a gentleman. He will not push something down your throat you don't believe in. And I'm not going to do that. When people come to the Lord, Jesus said, no man can come to me unless my father prompts him by the Holy Spirit. So it's not how powerful we speak. It's not how eloquent we speak. It's not how ghetto we talk. It's the word of God. It is the Holy Spirit in action. You see, I never wanted to get up. When I said, you, know, you, you need to come to Jesus. You know, they use word. They, didn't, they, they never used the word hell. And I was waiting for that. You're going to go to hell. Never use hell. You're going to go to damnation. Never. The words that I heard were forgiveness, mercy, love, long-suffering, and that God will be able to forgive me of any and every sin I ever committed. And I said, that can't be true, man, because my conscience tells me otherwise. My conscience tells me that a white done cannot ever be forgiven. Who says, oh, I know. Because God is angry at me. If I know God, he knows what I've done. And I don't think I can ever be forgiven. And then the pastor, see, I'm talking to myself. And then the pastor says, and he can forgive you of all your conscience. Whoa. And I said, I'm having a conversation with myself. And this guy answers for me. <laughs> and he says, and the blood of Christ is able to cleanse you from all your evil conscience and everything you've done. And I said, you know what? Mr. Johnny Walker and Jose Cuervo told me the same thing. <laughs> and that was a lie. The pusher man told me, and it was a lie. So I said, but I'm not going to go up. I'm not going to go up to receive the Lord. 
I'm just too much of a macho man. I can't do that. And I found myself getting up, going forward. That's why I know it's supernatural. That's why I know it wasn't a move of man. It was inspired by God. God said, it's time, Pancho. It's time. And I heard my name. See, my real name is Francisco Alejandro, but God called me by Pancho, meaning he even knows my nickname. And he says, come, it's your turn. No more crying. No more dying. No more sorrow. No more pain. Come. And I just went forward, that knowing that God was going to use a dysfunctional, perforated pervert as I... <laughs> Did I say pervert? Oh. <laughs> pervert. Pervert. Deviant. We call him on the street out of respect for Pastor Chuck. He doesn't like this word. I'll use it today. I was all jacked up. That's the word he doesn't like. And I apologize. But that's the only way I can convey it to you how messed up the mind was. But you see, something happened. It says that the word of God was living. It is living, powerful. Here it is. Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and of the discern of the thoughts and the intents of the heart of man. Here we go. The heart. That means the word of God is able to penetrate. You see, the hearts of the people of God during Isaiah's time, they're described as faint, dull, misunderstood, lofty, wicked, fearful, frightened, far removed from God's word, God's admonishment, God's laws. The heart of man was inconsiderate. It was darkened. It was backslide, falsehood, a lying, cheating heart. Isaiah said in Isaiah 47, 10, for you have trusted in your wickedness. You have said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge have warped you. And you have said in your heart, I am and there is no one else besides me. And the people of God, the people of God had had a twisted heart. This is why God says, listen, man, truly Isaiah is fulfilling the prophecy in you Pharisees. Because Pharisees, you look religious on the outside. He says, but the inside of you, you're full of dead men's bones. You say one thing and do another. He says, hypocrites, well did Isaiah describe you. You see, man, you and I as believers have the propensity to deviate and start doing weird things. I believe that God is calling you today so that wherever you're going, that you're getting warped, stop and turn around. Wherever you're deviating right now, stop and just stop and turn around. We call that in the Bible, repentance. What does repentance mean? Literally, it means stop, consider, after you know what's going on, turn around. That's it. If I, someone asks me right now, hey, excuse me, I'm lost. Well, I, I'm, I'm here. I'm from California. He says, but I can tell you where you want to go. Uh, we want to go to Las Cruces. I said, okay, take the 25, go all the way south. And he says, well, you know, I was told but this guy, if I take the 25 north, that I'll go to Las Cruces. Well, I tell you what, I have an Atlas map right here. It says here, if you go south, you're going to hit Las Cruces. Now, if he says, well, I believe my other friend, and I will say, well, you know what? Go. <laughs> Keep going north, and when you hit it, here's my cell number. Call me when you hit it. <laughs> People, hearts are just like that. We tell them, the word of God says... Well, you know what my grandma said? My grandma said that. You know what my people say? My people say. You know what they say in Rome? You live in Rome? No, I live right here in Belen. Well, then why are you listening to Rome? 
The word of God is sharp and two-edged sword, piercing even to the division and the intent of the heart. The word of God will penetrate and goes to the deeper inner beings, your most inner beings, inner private world. And goes to the word of God. The word of God goes inside and it says the word of God is sharper than the two-edged sword. Think about it. If you have a two-edged sword, or let's go if you have a one-edged sword. When you're fighting, you got to go, you, you fight and then if you got to go back on the second swing, you got to be fast and turn around to go with a sharp sword to the side. However, if you have a double-edged sword, boom, 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 and the Bible says the Word of God chops you up. It divides you. It takes the physical realm. It takes the social realm, the psychological realm, the emotional realm, and then the spiritual realm. And the Word of God speaks to all. All of those realms. And he takes what's fluff. Takes it out. Takes everything that's not of God. And the word of God becomes a reality in your life. The word of God becomes a lamp unto your feet. The word of God becomes an encourager. The word of God becomes hope. The word of God becomes light and darkness. The word of God gives you an exhortation. The word of God sometimes slaps you around. Have you ever gone to church? When you're just going to church and then, you know, there's some deviation in your life, either mental or emotional or literally physical, and you go to church and the Word of God is spoken and you get slapped so silly that you say, man, I come to the house of God, man, to be, Jesus, to be blessed. Man, I got slapped. Wonderful. Somebody has to slap you on the head. He said, hey, snap out of it. Yes. God will speak to you. One time, I was so moved because we were going through a financial problem, my wife and I, deep financial problem. See, we chose for my wife to become a housewife. I said, quit your work, honey. I can make it on my own. Pay the mortgage. We just had twin girls. And we were going through severe hardship. And I went to church that evening and I asked the Lord, speak to me. And the Lord used the word of God, used the pastor in a mighty powerful way. At the end of the service, there was an opportunity for, to lift our burdens up. The pastor said, if you're going here to some marriage problems, come down. And so people came forward. And he mentioned a litany and a glossary of other problems in our Christian lives. And people were getting up. And he says, if you're going through a financial problem, stand up and come forward too. And I was in the back. I was a head usher. And I didn't want to go up because, you know, I'm a head usher. I don't want to tell people I'm going through financial problems, you know. So the Lord was dealing with me. Get up, man. Get up. Finally, I decided, you know, I'm going to go up. And right when I, when I got up, Pastor Rawls said, if you're experiencing homosexual tendencies, come on up. <laughs> And I was just coming up on the aisle. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. God loves the homosexual. Don't get me wrong. You're no better than they are. He loves them all. Don't get me wrong. I'm not downing them. What I'm telling you is that, is that the misunderstanding, when people saw me getting up, I felt every eye was looking at me. We didn't know. Didn't know. And I come up here. And guys are just kind of apprehensive about touching me. 
I stood there. I, I said, you know what? It doesn't matter what anybody thinks of me, believes in me. What's important right now, God, is that you have spoken to me. That's what's important. I was able to go back home and tell my wife, God is going to do some wonderful things, Millie. God is in charge, Millie. Where did I get that from? Oh, my grandma told me. No. You see, I went to the house of God, and the Word of God was exposed, and the Word of God came into my heart, and the Word of God exposed my heart, and the, my heart dictated to my conscience, my conscience dictated to my life, and now I'm doing the things of God because my heart has now been turned over to God. That's it. My heart belongs to you, Jesus. You see, you can't hide. You cannot hide. Let me close with this. Verse 13, and there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Don't ever neglect the word of God. Don't ever neglect to have your devotion. Read it, read it, read it, read it, read it, read it, read it. Don't let anyone tell you what it says. You read it and allow the Holy Spirit to tell you what the word of God says. And to become a doer, not only a hearer. If you're here today, if you have never received Jesus Christ, right where you're at, if you this morning withdraw, you were afraid or you didn't know, now you know. God loves you. If you're here, wherever you're at, right where you're at, I'd like to pray with you. That if you have never received Jesus Christ, that today, right now, will be your day. I don't know if there's none, there's one, or there's 20. I don't know. But God knows. But if you're here, if you want to receive the Lord, would you do me a favor? Would you just stand right now, right where you're at, and say, Punch, I'm all messed up. I need Jesus Christ. That's me. Busted can be trusted. That's me. If that is you, would you please stand quickly, quickly. God bless you, sir. God bless you, sir. God bless you, sir. God bless you, man. Please remain standing. God bless you. Anyone else? Quickly. Quickly. Anyone else? Quickly. You're saying, I, I believe in my religion. We're talking about Jesus Christ. Him coming into your heart. Forgiving you, cleansing you, forgiving your conscience. Can you imagine? Have you ever seen a rap sheet? I haven't. But this is a rap sheet. Can you imagine your rap sheet being like this? This is what's going to happen to you. The question is, if you got to go before God and here's your rap sheet, what are you going to say? I, 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 I didn't know. He's going to send you. There was a bald-headed guy from California who told you. <laughs> or you can say, I'm born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? For those of you that are standing, please repeat this simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, please forgive me. Come into my heart as my Lord and my Savior. And fill me with your Holy Spirit. And make me to be the man you want me to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.